Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Family, first to Tom and Kathy and Deborah and the grandkids, Katie and Chad and Chase, but most especially, Paul, I wish to express my heartfelt condolences to you, brother. When we met yesterday, and uh, I just began asking you about who this woman was and what made her tick and all those things, the tears just started flowing immediately, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was more eloquent a testimony than anything of how deep the love was between you and her, your wife of 57 years. So, you know, I, I've been a priest. I was ordained in 2016. I've been a priest for a little over six years now, and I've had the, the, the great honor and privilege of witnessing a lot of weddings, uh, more than I can count at this point. Um, a lot of baptisms, a lot of weddings, a lot of joy, and also the great honor and privilege of presiding at a lot of funerals. Um, a lot of folks that I never got to know in this life, folks that I can't wait to meet uh, in heaven one day, Mary especially. But it's a great honor, it's a great privilege, and one of the things that I have, I guess, come to appreciate or think or realize, I guess, in these past six years doing a lot of weddings, doing a lot of funerals, is that they're not really about what you think they're about. This is what I mean, that, that weddings, I think, are a lot more about death, and funerals are a lot more about life, as ironic as that seems. Because, Paul, when you and Mary came to the church those 57 years ago, after you returned your two years from service, you came here to stand in front of the altar in the presence of God to lay down your life. That's what you and Mary did, to lay down your lives in imitation of Jesus. That's why couples, that's why Catholics, that's why we get married in the church, because we're entering into Jesus' self-giving love. We're entering into his gift, his being poured out. And you have no idea really what you're doing or what you're saying at the beginning of it. Priests included, when we take our, our vows at our ordination, we don't really know what we're saying yes to. But it's, it's an unconditioned yes. It's a yes with an ellipsis at the end of it. It's an open-ended promise. I promise to lay down my life, right? What you promised all those years ago, Paul, when you said those vows to your wife is, like, whether you realize it or not in that moment, what you promised was, I promise to be the one who best prepares you to meet the Lord. I promise to be the one who most, more than anybody, helps you get ready for heaven. That's what you say to each other as a couple. There's two forms of the vows that couples can say on their wedding day. There's slight differences, but they amount to the same thing, but both forms, both A and B, they both mention death. They both mention mortality. The first form says, all the days of my life, I'll love you and honor you all the days of my life. The second form says, until death do us part. Both of them mention death, both mention mortality. Again, I promise to be the one who helps you get ready for that moment when you let go of this world and you go to meet him. Him being the bridegroom, the one who all of our hearts are ordered to, the one who all of our hearts are longing for, the one who in the end will all be united to if we're in heaven 
Like, I promise to love you and to forgive you and to choose you and to sacrifice for you over and over and over again to help you have a heart that's conformed to the way that God loves, which is selflessly and totally. Right? You get married, you get called to the vocation of marriage, not because you're perfect, but because you're being called to purification, to love more deeply. Right? In a few moments in the Mass, at every single Mass, I'll elevate the host, I'll elevate the chalice, and I'll, be, I'll say, behold the Lamb of God, behold Him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. That phrase, Supper of the Lamb, it comes from the book of Revelation, where John the Evangelist, he's getting this glimpse of heaven. What is heaven? He sees a great wedding feast where Christ the bridegroom, Christ the Lamb, is uniting himself to the church. Like, that's the destiny. That's the goal. So your marriage, Paul, with Mary was preparatory for that moment, for that gift. You know, the earliest Christians, the first Christians, they referred to the Trinity. They used this word to describe the Trinity. They used this word perichoresis. It's a Greek word, which effectively translates to dance dance, that the Trinity, the relationships between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they said it's like an endless dance of life-giving love. We don't know if they meant a waltz or a tango. Let's just say for purposes of Mary today, it was a polka, all right? And the goal of our lives, the goal of married love, is to learn how to enter into the dance. And Paul, the way that you danced with your wife in loving and sacrificing and forgiving, especially these past many years. Love poured out. It was preparing her to enter the dance of heaven, and you handed her off to Christ the great dance partner, Christ the bridegroom, the other day. This is why I say weddings are much more about death and funerals are so much more about life, because she's not gone. She's not gone. Like that woman that you were telling me about yesterday, that incredible woman who was in the garden club and who went on fishing trips to Canada, that incredible woman who, like I said, loved her polkas and would dance. You know, I've never danced a polka. Maybe she'll teach me in heaven. I don't know. But that woman who got upset, Chad, when you received, a, you know, got piano lessons instead of an accordion for, you know, when you were a little boy, that incredible woman who taught her kids to play, to pray by the bedside, who would say, Kathy, as you said, uh, about God that he's watching, right? I think that was a very funny line. This woman who forced her kids and grandkids to go to bed long before sundown, and who was a Euchre champ and LCR champ, that this incredible woman, she's not deleted, she's not erased. Well, here in the preface of the Eucharistic prayer, Lord, for your faithful, life is changed, not ended. Changed, not ended. Like she's not gone because we have a God who entered into our human story in the most unexpected way to rescue and defeat the enemy, which is sin and death. Sin and death walked around forever throughout the course of human history as this bully scaring us, but they've been defeated. Christ defeated sin and death. Like, that's why we have hope today. That's why there's grief, yes, but it's grief mingled with hope. We don't grieve like the pagans, as St. Paul says. We have hope in the midst of our grief because 2,000 years ago, 
God did something to death. In an outpost of the Roman Empire, this preacher from Nazareth, Yeshua, who had walked around claiming to have authority over death, calling people back from the death, from death, was put to death by professional Roman executioners hanging him on a cross. They were very good at killing people. And they took his body down from the cross and wrapped it in 100 pounds of aloes and spices and laid it in a newly, freshly cut tomb. And it was guarded. It was pressed with a rack seal with the Roman governor's insignia on it. And that was supposed to be the end of the story because that's how the story ended for every person who's ever lived. You die and you stay dead. But somehow, three days later, life stirred from within the tomb. He didn't just come back. He wasn't just resuscitated. He passed through death like a door and exited out on the other side in a totally new kind of life, a kind of life that cannot be touched by death, a life that's beyond corruption, beyond sorrow, a life that's resurrected life. And here's the crazy part, that Jesus gave the church his spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead. He breathed that spirit upon the church so that mere mortals like you and me, destined for death, that though we die, we, we cannot be held by death. That Christ gave the spirit to us so that Christians having the spirit in us now become distasteful to death. That death comes and swallows us, but just like him, it spits us out. It cannot hold us. We have hope today because his victory over death wasn't just for him. It was also for your mom, for your wife, for your grandmother, for your friend, for Mary, for all of us. For those of us who are connected to Jesus through the sacraments, through baptism, in particular through the Eucharist, the gift of Jesus' flesh and blood that she feasted on in this parish year after year, decade after decade. Jesus who said, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life and I'll raise him. I'll raise her on the last day. She had inside of her the kind of thing that death can't hold. So she's not merely gone. It would be a mistake, a grave mistake to think that she's gone. She's alive. And because of Jesus, because of what he did, we have hope. So friends, just a thought of how, like, how we should respond today. In the gospel that Deacon Rich just proclaimed that where Jesus comes to be with Martha and Mary outside the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus asks Martha this question. It's a pointed question. I'm going to suggest that he's asking you and I this question today. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Hear the power, first of all, in his voice. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever entrusts themselves to me, whoever surrenders their heart, their life to me, whoever throws themselves upon my mercy, whoever believes in me, even if he dies will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Then he leans in and looks at her in the eye and says, do you believe this? This is what he's asking us today. And the way that we answer that question transforms everything. It changes, it changes how we view today. It changes how we live. It changes how we grieve. It changes our priorities. It changes everything. One way or another, at some point or another, we're going to have to answer that question. May we answer that question by the way that we live, 
Mary answered that question, certainly. Her life showed it. And so we pray, God love you, Mary. May the Lord bring you home and intercede for us now who are still struggling in this path. Amen.